Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. I'm your host, Jez Field, and in today's episode, I caught up with Steph Liston, church planter and one of the elders at Revelation Church, Camden. He's also part of the Relational Mission Apostolic Team, is a popular conference speaker and someone with an amazing gift for being able to impart a passion for Jesus to all those who listen to him. I've been a huge fan of Steph as many of us have for many years love listening to him and uh, thought I'd take the opportunity to catch up with him and discuss the Christian life the role of the pastor and the need for grit and fight as we seek to follow Jesus Steph has some challenging things to say he's a man of real wisdom and insight and so I've been looking forward to sharing this with you If you'd like to get in touch with me for whatever reason, perhaps to share some ideas or future guests or just to say hi, you can email me on podcast at newgroundchurches.org. I'd love to connect with you. For now, here's my conversation with Steph. Steph, thanks for joining us. Hello, mate. Nice to see you. Um, Well, Steph, before we get get into the, the, the substance of what we're going to be talking about, I mentioned before I started recording um, something that's you know very important I think and that is uh, you told me you know Tom Head who's um, an elder at East End Church London and uh, we've actually got Tom Head coming on the podcast in a few weeks time Okay. and Tom Head's a boxer as you well know and you also are a boxer uh, so who would win in a fight between you and Tom? <laughs> Tom definitely no <laughs> No question, but I'm re- I'm up, I'm up for I'm up for having a little spa with Tom if every wants that. But Tom would win. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> well, there we go. there you go. You've heard it here first. We're going to arrange a fight now. This is what the podcast become. I mean, he is a bit older than you, and he slights, it strikes me as being slightly slightly more experienced. But you've got this kind of scrappy. I don't imagine you play by the rules in the ring kind of vibe. I don't know. <laughs> You're jumping to all sorts of conclusions there. You need to just <laughs> stop it right there, mate, because I might just I might just press leave the meeting if you carry on. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. We'll um, we'll jump in. Steph, it's been a strange year. Uh, what I'd love to know is, tell me one of the things that you've learned most, I guess, over the past year, but certainly about yourself or leadership or church or something that's really got you thinking and bubbling at the moment. I think. Um, <clears throat> Obviously, loads and loads of things. I think one that occurs to me as a, as a thought that has that has probably been uh, one of the main one of the main things I've reflected upon is the whole idea of foundations. So, if this is a storm, which it is, um, Jesus said, you know, that when the storm comes, what what you're built on is exposed, is revealed. So you don't go out in the middle of the storm and try and sort your foundation out. When the storm comes, you just hope you've built well. Um, and so I think, you know, for us, uh, that's really been the main idea. We, it's, it's, you know, if we've, if we've not built well, then there's no point trying to fix it now. You can't fix it in the middle of this. Um, and so essentially you just have to hope that you have, uh, and whether you have or whether you haven't will be revealed during the season like this. What, what, are, 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 is your life and the life of the people that you're looking after built on Jesus or built on something else is, is the bottom line. Um, and I think that's really been the main thought. There's been so much around that. Obviously there are so many uh, skills we've all had to learn and adaptations we've all had to make, but the, the, the thing beneath it all, I think for me, is the whole idea of, of foundations and, and, and um, the, importance, the importance of that. 
Mm. And so how do you put those foundations into people's lives? What are some of the strategies that you use as a pastor to pre-COVID and maybe things that you've learned post-COVID will be doing this differently? What are some of the things that you, you would reflect on? I think it's just, you know, I think you've got, to, you've got to preach the word faithfully. I think it's really absolutely key to preach the word of God faithfully. You can't just give people um, tidbits, sound bites, cliches. You know, you've got to preach Christ week in week out in everything that you do not just Sundays everything that you do building it on Jesus Paul says there's only one foundation a man can lay it's Jesus Christ so it's, everything's got to be built around him his supremacy his centrality um, his sufficiency so it's all about him and, and and that's what the father wants the father wants him to be supreme in all things so and that's what the spirit will empower us to do to make Jesus central so it's, all, it's just about putting Jesus first in our pastoring of people discipling of people um nurturing of people you know constantly helping them to see who he is what he's doing uh, where to find him in, in what you're going through um and and trying to trying to help people to reconfigure their framework of thinking so that it's christ centered not them centered or anything else centered mm. um so i just think it's you know i mean i don't think i'm saying anything new it's it's what it's it's the heart of what ministry is isn't it is uh gospel 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 so yeah that's probably what i'm getting at and i mean i've heard you speak a number of times over the years um i've always been a, just a huge fan of your preaching and i think that's always been a massive you know core component theme of the way you preach um you remind me of a spurgeon in the pulpit just that the centrality of christ in every sermon seems to come through so well i, I don't know i'd love to know a little bit about how that came to be true for you um uh, obviously, for a number of people who do know you, and um, they'll know you because of perhaps your preaching at New Day or at leadership conferences. But I also know there's kind of a, a backstory of how you got saved and came to kind of establish your life on Christ. Give it, can you give us an insight into how God got you and how Jesus came to be such a central kind of part of your, your life? Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> my mum's a believer, and um, so my dad isn't, but my mum and dad divorced when I was very young, so I lived with my mum, so even though, you know, there were lots of lots of ups and downs and things that went on, you know, she she in it all was, I, I, I would say, a faithful witness to Christ, and uh, so I knew the gospel, and she says that I made a commitment to Jesus when I was about eight or nine, and I'm sure, I'm sure she's right, but when I was about 16, 15, I decided, I made a decision in the full knowledge of the gospel, not to follow Christ, which I just think is outrageous. I mean, that's not even ignorance. That's something else. Uh, and then I just really did my own thing uh, for the next couple of years. And, you know, the inevitable chaos ensued. And then Jesus just saved me, saved me at Stonely. I went to Stonely for all the wrong reasons. I had no interest in becoming a Christian. Didn't feel threatened by it, but wasn't interested in it. I've made my decision. It was a free holiday. And I just went there to just have, have fun. And Jesus saved me. Jesus, uh, you know, even my mum had been praying for me for years. Even her first thought was, how long is this going to last? Because I was just such a clown, you know. Um, but Jesus did something. And I said to him, I'm all yours. Uh, and I think in that moment, without realising what I was doing, because I had no theology, but I think I was basically saying, look, do what you like. You know, like I've made a mess of it. So just literally do it. I'm not holding on to anything. Do what you want. And I think when you do that, he can come right in at the bottom, which is the fact where the foundation should go. You're not building him on anything else. And really, I, I had to let him just completely take me apart and put me back together again in terms of my thinking, my 
perspectives, my attitudes, everything was so messed up that I think in that sense, you know, you just, you, and, then, and then you get into the authors who just love Christ, you know, Spurgeon, Lloyd-Jones, and then, you know, and then Piper, and people that just, you know, they're really who I learned preaching from. Um, and then, you know, and obviously we were super blessed, people like Terry and Dave Holden and others preaching in apostolic doctrine in my early years about being in Christ and just, you know, the grace of God. I just lapped it up and I found that that had an impact on me where, where people that would say other things that, well, I don't know, they sounded a bit more, I don't even know what the right word is, palatable. <laughs> <laughs> it just was, you just come away thinking I'm still hungry, you know, I, that wasn't it. Um, you know, and so I think just letting, letting Jesus do whatever he wants. And I'm not trying to make it, I'm some sort of perfect disciple, you know, boy, not, not, not at all. But I think I've tried to just yield and let him do what he wants, you know, and then you see them what he does. Then, you know, he will do that for others because he's impartial. So he, if he, if he did it for me, he would do it for others. So you just want to impress upon people. And like Luther says, constantly banging people's heads daily. The gospel, this is what it's about. It's about him and his grace and his mercy and letting him just do what, do what he wants and, you know, kind of take your part and rebuild you. Um, mm. I just think, yeah, it just comes out of, I suppose, what, what you've seen him do in your own life, maybe. Mm. And you've also, you know, you're someone who really strikes me as, as a man who's really just saturated in and soaked in the Bible and the word of God. So did at the, at the same time as meeting Jesus, did you then discover a love for the Bible? And, and, and you know, how did that, did that, did this one follow the other? What happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like crazy. Like I just, just would spend, um, yeah, just hours in my room just just reading the bible you know just hungry hungry for scripture and i've also got where my mind is particularly weak in certain areas it's also particularly strong in certain areas i'm not very level i'm particularly strong i've got quite a photographic memory so i would just remember where the scriptures were you know word for word lots of it you know not in terms of memorizing it but it just went in and I think I just kind of, and I'm a bit of an extreme personality. So I just, I think for a few years, those foundational years, I don't know if I did anything else. <laughs> I read the Bible. Um, uh, so it's a bit extreme, a bit intense. I think some people are a bit scared. But, you know, you know, uh, it was a foundational moment. And I think when you've really been an idiot and you've been into lots of darkness, like I was, when you come out of that, you have to do something you have to do a 180 you have to do something radical you have to just let because because there's too much danger there's too much there's there's been there's been you, you've danced with it with the bad stuff you just have to you know so yeah so I was a bit of a recluse in some ways I'd go to church and then I'd do and then I was a bit of a recluse for probably for a few years I was just but you're looking back you don't know, in the moment you, you just think you just you, do, you just do what you do but looking back you think you say I think that the foundations was being laid and it was a bit of an intense job, you know. Um, and But yeah, you know, love the Bible. Um, and yeah, you know, you like Bunyan said, he wanted to be the kind of guy wherever you pricked him, you know, scripture would come out, you know. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. I, don't, I don't, wouldn't suppose myself to be anywhere near his level of devotion to scripture, but it's a great thing to aim for. Mm. So what does it look like practically for you i'd love to just get an insight into the world of steph and how obviously there's a massive hunger when you first got saved to read scripture 
what does it look like now for you as someone who's been a believer for many years? How have you managed to cultivate a date some daily rhythms of soaking yourself in scripture? But then equally, I guess another kind of subsidiary question, maybe for pastors and preachers out there is, how do you how do you stop yourself from only reading scripture to prepare for a sermon? And, you know, how do you, how, can you speak into some of that and navigate the challenges, both of a daily rhythm and also professional Christianity? Yeah, I think it's, I think everything's always attention. And I think that's OK. You know, I think sometimes we imagine there's some sort of sweet spot we can find and just groove there for 30 years. If only we can find it. I just don't. Maybe. But that's not my experience. And it is a tension. And as long as it's creative tension, you know, it creates growth then it's fine. But I think you're often in that place of. It's the, I think it's the groaning. You know, Paul talks about the groaning. I think it's that you just, you know, and we ourselves groan inwardly. We have the first fruits of the spirit. You just you always want to know God better. And sometimes you're groaning because you're thinking this quiet time is pathetic. <laughs> you know, it's embarrassingly bad. And, um, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to model their prayer life on what I just did for the last half an hour, you know, and you just think, oh, it's a, you know, it's a nightmare. You're, you're in, you know, Paul says preach in season, which means sometimes you're in season, sometimes you're out of season, sometimes you're out of season, you're just drying. You know, you're reading the Bible and you think, you don't know, I don't know what I just read. I just read, a, I just read a chapter. I don't know what I just read. My mind was thinking about all kinds of other things. So, I mean, what do I, I think I just, and also, you know, season of young family, not anymore, but then and rhythms and all of that. It's just constantly, you're just trying to grab time. You grab it where you can. Life throws up its challenges. So I think as long as there's that hunger, I think if you keep the hunger, you'll find a way. And there'll always be seasons where, oh, that doesn't work anymore. And, you, you know, you have to find a new, and, and new, new way of doing things practically. And then there'll be a time gap between that and that. We think that, was, that wasn't great. It's just life. But, you know, I think, I think it's about, about finding a way um, and keeping things fresh, keeping that relationship with God fresh. Um, uh, I just think the desire drives the discipline, you know, and the discipline hopefully should drive the desire because through the discipline you're you're in you're in the rich stuff again and, and that drives your desire but it's never as straightforward as that no but i think that's that's what you're aiming for um so yeah you know i mean so and i think just also just not not doing that thing where kind of having the the, the, the you know that daily devotion definitely but i think not just having that you know i think just looking for i think it was what some guy who said you know what is it that he sort of um what did he say? Like, you know, every, every day try and put aside, you know, an hour of devotional activity of some sort. And then every week try and make a day a bit different. Maybe you pray a bit more that day, you know, um, you know, um, maybe, uh, maybe every month, maybe, I don't know, there might be some other thing you do, but you're just trying to create a rhythm where you're always in pursuit of the Lord and, and trying not to just sort of stagnate. I think, you know, this thing has been, I've been Christianity 30 years now. So, you just need the grace of God and the help from the Holy Spirit to, to keep that fire burning. Um, but there are definitely things you can do to, to aid that. Um, in terms of not just reading for sermons, I don't know. I mean, it's a weird one because on the one hand, you don't want to drop into that. On the other hand, you don't want to compartmentalize so much that you're not benefiting personally from sermon prep and that you're not getting treasures from your devotionals into your sermons. So it's a, it's a bit of a, again, it's a tension, isn't it? Um, I think I think that if all you ever do is read the Bible for sermon prep, at, at some point before too long, 
you're going to start to read the signs. You know, you, the lights on the dashboard will start flashing and you'll realise that you, you've, you've become a professional in the, in, in the worst possible sense. And then you just got to attend. You've got to attend to... You've got to attend to your relationship with God, whether it's a sabbatical or some kind of retreat, or I've always found those things really helpful mm. just to sort of press reset, you know? It's a challenging path, isn't it? I think as a pastor that on the one hand, this is what you're paid to do. So you've just yeah. got to get on and do it. But yeah. on the other hand, you can't do it as a profession, as a, yeah. <laughs> and as a professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, it's just that. that and I, I like that word tension. I think elsewhere I've heard you say that there's a, it's a life of soaking yourself in scripture so that you get to know it, how it sounds and feels so that it, you know, you, you resonate, you kind of discerning of truth. I think you're using in that context that you need a lifetime of just soaking in the scriptures. You get to know God's heart and you get to know the sort of things God says and how mm. the sort of things God's God feels about uh, or is passionate about. And I, and I think so one of the things I often appreciate about, appreciate about your tone and the way you, you speak is that there is um, an awareness that, success whatever that is and that might be an interesting place to go what is success but success doesn't happen overnight that this is a, a lifetime project of being made into the image of christ um are, there, are you concerned sometimes about how the kind of culture of successism and overnight success and and even just defining success around worldly terms creeps into or has crept into the church is that something you're observed um <laughs> All right. Oh, if you want me to go there, I'll go there. <laughs> I think it's to do with, um, well, it's to do with all kinds of things, you know, it's obviously to do with the flesh and the world and that. But if you really want to get specific, I think if you have a business paradigm for church, rather than a family paradigm for church, um, changes everything. It just completely changes everything. You're dealing with a, you're dealing with a paradigm that's just not in the scripture. So you're not going to find, you're not going to, you'll have to import scriptures into what you're doing and pretend that they sit happily there. Because you've, you, you are approaching church from, from, from a paradigm that's just not biblical. Mm. Um, so yeah, churches, we're to be fruitful, aren't we? Very fruitful and we are to multiply. And of course, you know, um, we, yeah, absolutely. We want that and we expect, you know, the kingdom to grow and all of that. But I think to approach church almost as if, you know, you do that, if we do this and we do that, that will happen. You go, okay, yeah, I just, I, it's cool. I just thought there was someone called God, you know, and um, <laughs> I thought maybe like he had a plan and uh, he was going to lead us. I thought he was maybe in charge um, and he was going to speak and we were going to follow him um, and we weren't going to do stuff, you know, just, just because we thought it was a good idea. I thought we were convinced that the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God are completely different things. You know, I, I just, I don't know. I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. No, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm just trying to work out how do you tell when one crosses over to the other? Because... <laughs> Because you're not saying that you're not saying that you shouldn't plan, and the families don't plan, only businesses plan, or that families maybe you are saying families actually strategy and family don't really go together. Um, so where are some of the things where you go, you know, when when you when you're talking like that, what are some of the things that you're seeing in church culture and church life that you're going, oh, I just really don't think that's right. I think it's I suppose fixation with numbers. It's kind of it's just. 
you know, I just think Jesus visits seven churches in the book of Revelation and doesn't talk to them once about how big they are. <laughs> wow. He doesn't even mention it. It's just it's almost a non-event. So, you know, you think, well, if, is it how, well, how important is it? He talks to them about faithfulness, talks to them about holiness, talks to them about, you know, um, zeal, talks to them, you know, about those kinds of things, that steadfastness in the face of suffering. He talks to them about, that's what he's talking about the whole time. So you just go, okay, so why do we talk about numbers all the time? <laughs> and, and why does that seem to be the leading question be, be behind so many people, people's questions about your church? And, you know, I'd much rather be saying this if I was like a mega church leader, because then people wouldn't go, are oh, you only saying that? Because, you know, you haven't been successful in numbers. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's one of those ones. So it's great when Francis Chan says it because he's, he's been there and done it successfully. You know, and when he says it, you think he's, he's definitely been driven by the right motives and you never really know your own, your own motives. But, you know, I just think, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's, I think it's that. I think it's, um, I don't know, formulas. I think it's when you just think there's, you know, you know, like, so, so the grace of God is on someone and, and then, you know, maybe he shows them a certain way of doing things or gives them in a certain way. And it's really, really fruitful. Then they write a book. No problem. Okay. But then the implication is either on the part of the reader or on the part of the writer, that what they did, that the method was the key to the result. And I just think it leads to so much disappointment and wasted energy in good-hearted church leaders. Because you think, I think that the result is because that God's grace was on them for that. God gifted them in that. You know, God, that was God's way for that church. Um, you know, I, I just think some, I just think surely God's, surely God's got a prophetic, part of the prophetic being in the foundations of our churches is that God's got something specifically that he's saying to each congregation. This is, this is my way for you. This is where I'm leading. This is your contribution to my body in the world, you know? And I think if every church can learn to be happy in their contribution, rather than subtly thinking that they've got a they've, their church has to be the best you know uh i think that's just prideful and unhelpful and it's going to get you you're going to lose your contentment mm. you're going to be bent out of shape so i just think you know the success thing uh it, it can manifest in those sorts of ways i just don't think it does anyone any good mm. i mean i was just reflecting on this recently actually that i don't know of many professions in in normal society that where, where they're constantly thinking about their their growing influence among more and more and more people um it seems to you know if someone's working a job they're just working a job to get the money to provide for their family to to you know live as meaningful and fruitful a life as they can you don't see teachers going oh we've only got 30 kids in the class how are we going to get this class to 50 how are we going to get this class to 100 and they don't because they understand there's a process that they're part of this child's form for you know forming this child but yet in the church, and now I speak as someone who's pastoring a small church and, and suffer this kind of cancer of obsession, not obsession, but there's a genuine like looking at the amount of people who saw your sermon on YouTube and then, oh, I subscribed to that church. They got 125,000 views and it sucks your soul. And like, oh, maybe maybe what I'm doing doesn't matter at all. What's the point? Why don't they all just listen to that guy? Why, right. why, why should my congregation ever listen to me when there's that guy on YouTube that they could easily listen to? And so I kind of, on the one hand, I'm agreeing, like, 
I want to just be a man who's earthed in the loca- locality of where God's put me to love and serve these people. <laughs> you got, you got caught in your lip. Is that your tea bag? <laughs> that is that is the skin of full fat milk. Oh. There you go. That's where you're getting North London proper milk. Proper milk. <laughs> you better not edit that out. No, I'm keeping that in because you know we're after raw church. None of this. This is real church. This is biblical. <laughs> None of this glamorized. That, 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 that was biblical. Yeah, you ain't no celebrity pastor. <laughs> That's right. I think you get my question um, yep. or my comment. Yep. How, how yep. do you both weed that out of your own heart and how do you speak to the church that is just, why are we so concerned with numbers? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's inward and outward. If, you're in the, if, if the culture of the church or the, or the network, denomination, family churches is like that, then that's, that's going to have that impact on you. And also your own flesh, your own insecurities, your own pride, your own sense of you know um significance and all dealing with all of that you know and that tied up with ministry so it's 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 inward and an outward thing and i think that if you can create the culture where people are appreciating a much broader perspective of what fruitfulness looks like of course we all want to see our churches grow because you want to see people saved and added of course we do so there's nothing wrong with that but i think a genuinely broader appreciation of what god's doing just let's break out of that simplistic thing mm. what's god doing i think that's really healthy in in externally and then i think you just got to deal with your own heart i mean man all of us we all you know crucify the flesh and all of that it, it just it, it's constant isn't it and it's day jesus said every day you got to pick up your cross and say no to yourself so there are desires if i don't say no to every day they're gonna they're gonna be like a cancer that eat, eats me eat, eats me up so that's just the Christian life. If you weren't in this ministry, it would be around something else. So we just got to learn to deal with the flesh. That's really helpful. Actually, it's interesting that um, there's another tension, uh, even in the way the Gospels end. So Matthew's Gospel ends with going to all the world and make disciples of all nations. It's a very big picture. Then you've got John's Gospel ending with this curious conversation between Jesus and, and Peter. We're essentially saying, if you love me, feed my sheep. Yeah. Like I want pastors who are going to just feed my lambs, the ones that I love. Um so do you think there's a there's a need almost to recover or have an emphasis placed again on the the value of what a pastor is for a people? And what are some? I'd just love to hear some of your reflections and thoughts on what is a pastor and and what is, what is he meant to do for his people? Well, I th- I mean I would recommend Eugene Peterson as an author here in terms of some of his some of his work because I think he's really given it a lot of thought. And we wouldn't agree with everything he says. You know, we believe in a plurality of pastors in in the church um you know i think he's very much the sort of the 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 one man kind of model but man alive his principles are so kind of sharpening and so cleansing cleansing you know that's what it does when you read him talk about it because there is there is this um this what you're talking about is shepherding um i love the you know i think ezekiel 34 god condemns the shepherds of israel you know the, the leaders and he seven things they, they they didn't do and they should have done and it's an amazingly rich description of what it means to be a shepherd you know binding up the injured healing the sick seeking the lost um bringing back the stray um strengthening the weak it's beautiful you think that that's that's the ministry that's what elders should be about and it's great because it's got the evangelistic element to it seeking the lost you know it's but it's people it's been involved with people I mean, part of our vision is, is about big people. That's a phrase that we use. We love, we love that phrase. We actually have a number attached to it because not because we wanted to, because God kept speaking prophetically, but 
the emphasis is on the big people. We want to see people enlarged on the inside, you know, able to carry ends of the earth in their heart, God's purposes, not be just caught up with their own little own little life. And so I think looking to see people formed in that way is such a privilege and, and an honor. And, and, and yeah, you know, I think that's that's ever so important. I think really interesting, the last chapter of John, the Jesus and Peter thing, also noticed in the incident where, you know, John gets all worked up about Peter. Uh, you know, what, what about him? And, and he says, don't worry about him, you follow me. You know, and it's a classic moment of that looking over your shoulder, you know, to the more successful disciple. Or the, And Jesus says, no, don't worry about him, you follow me. And I think, you, you know, you're, you're not going to be, and I'm not going to be held to account for how much of a measure of gift we were given that's down to the sovereignty of God. We get held to account for what we do with it. So it's about being faithful with what we've been given. You know, if I've got a measure that's only ever going to get 100 people on YouTube, that's totally down to the sovereignty of God. My stewardship is what am I going to do with that? Am I going to invest that fully? That's what I'll be held to account for. And, you know, and we'll receive a greater reward than someone who, who was entrusted with grace that could reach 10,000 and, and only sort of threw himself in 75%. So I think we've got to get that eternal perspective, God's assessment of what we're about and just give ourselves and, and, and sort of leave the results with the Lord, really. Mm, that's good. I think it's that emphasis back on who are you trying to please? Are you yeah. trying to please the internet or trying to please the people with a large church? Again, I've heard you say elsewhere, you may you may build a you may gather a large crowd, but what are they there for? Who are they? They might be church in name, but not church in people, sort of yeah. thing. One of my favourite quotes. You must have heard this. I think it's Alan Scott, who's the guy who wrote Scattered Servants. Um, he he said, you know, the success of a church should not be me, uh, measured by its seating capacity but by its sending capacity and I thought that was a brilliant quote you know are people coming through maturing and then being sent either into their neighborhood ends of the earth next town to plant you know is is that is that the, the motion of your church life it's it's an incubator for bringing people through nurturing people and, and preparing them and sending them in the great commission or you know is it has it become a consumerist kind of deal mm. um yeah well, I mean, you touched on consumerism, and one of the things I, I noticed about your response to the pandemic is, I don't, I don't know if you have, but I, I did, didn't look like you've, you're all on YouTube. It looks like you're, you've pushed it more into Zoom than YouTube. So using, you have five congregations or five meetings on Zoom each week. Um, what's your, what's the rationale behind the way you've responded to the pandemic? Yeah, we've done lots of different, we've actually done lots of different iterations, but we settled on Zoom. So we did YouTube um for a while you know we did sort of a live broadcast and with youtube and then we did one big zoom all together and now yeah we've gone into five congregations five zoom congregations um and the, the rationale really there was was to do with at its heart you know what is the what what are the what are the marks of the new covenant it's a people saturated with the presence of god it's a people so the, yes there's leadership but that's not the emphasis of the new covenant the big story is everyone's been filled with the spirit and so the big deal is that when we come together wow what's going to happen who's going to bring what you know you've got these different gifts you know the manifestation of god and so we just sort of thought to ourselves that the fact that we're on a screen in the first place leads us towards consumerism i'm watch. i'm used to watching stuff on a screen youtube did that we tried to get really active on the um what's the thing you know the, the, the comments chat. yeah everyone just says good morning don't they that's it that's as far as they go <laughs> 
<laughs> they went to Zoom uh, and then that was better. You know, uh, people could lead out in a prayer and then we'd also get people to hover over their other people's pictures and direct message them with prophecies. So it got better. But now we've gone into congregations of probably about between 20 and 30 in each congregation on Zoom. And, you know, so many gifts we never knew were there were coming through. Um, so 95% of cameras are now switched on. Um, you know, I don't know, 60 to 80% of people are standing behind afterwards to, to break out rooms to pray. That, that wasn't happening before. So it's much more interactive. And so it's about, you know, the body of Christ, gifts being used to build one another up. I'm not just here, me and Jesus is me. It's Jesus, one another. And then I come out of that encouraged, you know, so it's that thinking about it like that. So that's really what we were thinking with it. No, I like that. I mean, one of the things I'm going to the church with soon is that, you know, we, we jumped onto YouTube, we tried with a few things and I'm just reflecting, like, I'm not sure if it's helping us more, more than it's hindering us because it is playing into some of that consumerism. Like, I understand it's been useful for holding the church together in some way, but it's actually almost like you're saying about foundations. It's kind of threatening some foundational, like, you, this is reinforcing church is something you can just watch. Church is something you can just go to and then go home from. And that, of course, was never part of it. So I, I love the, the vision of trying to get back. I, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a challenge, isn't it, of uh, different ways that we're all responding. <laughs> um, I mean, you've talked a bit about the tensions quite, quite a lot already in this conversation. And one of the things that I saw that you, you put out on YouTube was this series of responses to a film that was made um, that essentially was polarising different approaches to the Christian life and church life. And, and I think you, you helpfully kind of identified some, some tensions that we need to hold in the Christian life. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about some of them. Um, because actually there's some things that I really appreciate what you've said. There is, um, well, so I've got the titles of some of the, some of the things that you've, um, you've said in your, your videos and you can help us understand what, what was in your heart and what you were saying. Yeah. So, um, talk to us about the power of words, where a camp of Christianity might go with the power of words and where where you think there's a tension to hold. Yeah. I mean, no one would want to no one would want to deny the power of words um, kind of if you had like a blank canvas. Absolutely. So, you know, Proverbs says, you know, the tongue has the power of life and death. Totally agree with that. You know, Paul says, I believe, therefore I spoke. Which means that one of the one of the you know faith coming to its culmination often is 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 comes out of what we speak. Jesus, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your your words give away what's on the ins what's on the inside. You know, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. I mean, I wouldn't ever want to. Un un but I think it can move into kind of superstition and magic. Um, so things like, you know, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. I don't think the Bible tells us if you say these words, you'll be saved. I think the Bible says, believe in Jesus, repent of your sins. So, but there can be this thing where if I can just get them to pray this prayer, it's like, well, if that's a manifestation of them trusting in Jesus, fine. But saying those words per se won't produce salvation. Um, and I think even, you know, biblically, um, the, the positive confession thing, you know, if I just say, if I just speak over myself, you know, that, that everything's going to be okay than it is. I mean, I think if that worked, we would all have figured that out by now in life and we'd all be doing it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I'm not saying that there's no power in that at all. There's power in negative talk and there's power in positive talk. But I think that the, the, our, our heroes in the Bible, 
seem to feel the freedom to be able to pour their heart out to God when they're struggling, when they're suffering, without fearing that somehow as a result of doing that, they're going to be cursed or think life's going to get worse. I think they're pouring their heart out to God. And the Bible says that God stores up their tears in his bottle. You know, I don't. So I think it can become superstitious um, and it can become inauthentic, you know, so if, if I every, every time I saw you and asked how you were, you said blessed and highly favoured, our relationship would become a little bit superficial after a while because well, I'm yeah, I know that. That's great. But, but also, how you doing? You know, um, so I just think it can get a bit weird. It can get a bit inauthentic and get a bit superstitious and get a bit fear driven. Have I said the right words? You know, um, and I think you, you can lose the heart of a relationship with God in that. And we, we don't want to go down that road. So that would be an example of living in that tension yeah and i mean i think part of the reason i started with asking about that one is because i'm aware from talking to people who are kind of journeying towards faith or on the fringe of church and exploring there seems to be a rising popularity in the world of what, of what they call manifestation whereby you speak what you want and it happens and it, the universe gives back to you what you what you speak out there which right. seems to be a secular idolatrous form of, of what I do sometimes here in the church, you know, you just name it and claim it, brother, and it's yours. The Lord will give it to you. And um, I mean, that might be an extreme prosperity aspect of it. But I think like you're saying, there's the living in unreality and the denial, perhaps, of, of yeah. what you're going through. Absolutely. But I think, you know, I would want to say, I think by the same token, you know, there are times where you just know, you know, the, the prophetic is inspired utterance. It's when the spirit of God comes on you. And there's something about even in, in the declaration, you know, where, where God is using that. So, I do, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm really not saying there's no power in our words. I just think I'm saying we can take it somewhere where it becomes something else. Um, and you can no longer root it in a, it no longer feels biblical. You think it doesn't feel like what I'm what I'm in when I'm in the book. I don't, I, it just feels foreign air. I don't know where that comes from. And I think it's, you know, it's just. That's why we would you referred to earlier about the thing of because I could take one proof text and build whatever I want on it, but when you're in the sweep of scripture, you be, the air of the whole thing becomes much more familiar to you, you know, and you just sort of go that that doesn't smell like that, you know. So for example, oh no, no, you ask more, go into more subjects. I'll, I'll, I'll be here for hours. Go on. Well, because again, I bring this up because one of the things that I find hardest as a pastor is is living in that intersection between someone someone in your congregation's ill, they're sick, and they've got a terminal illness, yeah. and you live with that tension between do I prepare them to die well because I think that's really important, yeah. or do I stand with them to fight this in faith that God's going to heal them? Because yeah. there are aspects of the church that say by preparing them to die well, you're actually robbing them of the chance to be healed because you're diminishing faith that they might have mm. and yet as a pastor uh, maybe it's maybe it's disappointment from previous previous prayers gone un unanswered the, the idea of trying to rally someone with a terminal illness or a chronic condition for faith for healing i find that just exhausting because i think i can't do this and, I, and I, I don't necessarily see this as the lord's will for you at this time say and yet there is that aspect in the church perhaps it's an import from the state i don't know perhaps it's legitimately a tension that's there in scripture that we've got to hold there's just this this challenge for the pastor and how to how to hold that tension well and um and how do you how do you navigate that in your own heart it's hard it's really hard i think that's when you believe in kingdom now and kingdom not yet 
that's where you've got to have listening ear, listening ear to the Lord, but I also think a listening ear to the people that you're ministering to. So to be able to sit down with that person and just say, hey, what are you sensing the Lord saying? Rather than thinking, we've got to come with the answers. You know, I've got to come, I've got to, I've got to know where to pitch this. Because if I get it wrong, you know, hold on a minute. What do you think? God, this is a priest. This person's a priest. This person has got a relationship with God. What do you, what, what do you feel God's saying to you about this? Do you feel God stirring faith for healing? Or do you feel like, you know, this is, this is your, this is your time. Mm. And I would take a big lead off of them. Mm. If they're in our church, they're going to be kingdom now, kingdom not yet people. They're going to be aware of that tension themselves. They would have been taught about that. They wouldn't assume it would definitely be the one or definitely be the other. So, you know, in that sense, we're having the conversation with the same paradigm. What do you sense the spirit saying? Let, should we just pray together, you know, about this? And you just look to the Lord together and then see what they're saying. A lot, not all, but a lot of Jesus's miracles seemed to be kind of, they would, they, they would spring from the faith of the person that came to him. And I, even James 5, is anyone sick? Let him call the elders. So you, you're, that person's taken initiative. Come and pray for me to be healed. So you're traveling on their faith. And, you know, I think sometimes we kind of, we produce, we can, we can um, perpetuate a passivity in the ranks where everyone's looking to me to know what God's will is in this situation. Well, you know, there's no, there's, I don't think the Bible says anywhere that I would necessarily know more than you. Mm. <laughs> uh, and that's quite releasing. Mm. Um, but we both know theologically that it could be either. So we know where we're at. We're on the same page theologically. Now let's listen to the spirit. Mm, that's good that's really helpful um i mean i i I believe you and i agree with you and particularly when you say i don't think this the bible says that i'm going to know any more that more or less than you maybe it's just insecurity i think sometimes in the Mm. pastor where you feel like i'm not maybe it's because you think i'm paid but you there's an expectation you think people are looking at me as the pastor and I'm the one who's standing up with the Bible every week so I'm the (laughs) one who's talking on behalf of God saying I've got the answers um what are some ways that you try to stop people projecting that onto you treating you like a mini Jesus that they don't you know I don't need to go to Jesus I got Steph um how do you try to stop that that's a a brilliant question because I actually think that it's probably probably like given church history and you know the the power of the priesthood for centuries that takes a lot of undoing, a lot of undoing, because obviously you're trying to help people walk this, walk this kind of line whereby, yes, you are a shepherd, one of the, one of the under shepherds um, appointed by God in terms of oversight. That's what that's what you're, you're there to do. Um, but you but your your um, proximity to the Lord is not necessarily any closer than than anyone else's in the church. Um, and, um, you know, we all come to the Father by the same route and are all equally qualified. So you're, I think you're constantly having to model normality. Um, you know, I refuse, you know, if, I, if, I, if I've just preached on Zoom or whatever, and then I'm, we're going to breakout rooms, I will just say right at the beginning, I'm all preached out, someone else lead this conversation. So I'm not, because otherwise, because I'm in the room, it'll go quiet, right? People wait for me to lead. 95% of people will go quiet and assume I'm going to lead it. So it's like, I haven't got to lead everything because I'm one of the pastors. Um, I, we talk about how as leaders, we're just as much a part of the church as everyone else. We try to 
be transparent, appropriately transparent with our areas of struggle and weakness. Um, we invite um, questions, godly scrutiny, accountability. Um, we invite it, correction, because you, you, you are working against a whole load of presuppositions where if you don't do that, you will quickly be beyond reach, unfortunately. It will just, it will happen. So the impetus has got to be on you as the pastor to yeah. seek that out. Yep. Um, yeah, interesting. James says, doesn't he, let's confess your sins to another. Um, so there's an expectation that you have to you have to obey that scripture and, and present yourself as someone who needs to confess, I guess, and, and not always using the pulpit as the place to do that. Because that can, I guess, create, um, you know, you talk about being appropriately, you say, use the word vulnerable, but appropriately transparent or authentic. Yeah. There's a there's a, a form of self disclosure that is quite narcissistic as well, isn't yeah. there? Like, yeah. I look at how vulnerable I am. I'm just like yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. Yeah, you you need wisdom in it definitely. But I think just to be part of the warp, warp and woof of church life, you know. So I'm I mean we have running partners which are like you know twos, threes, fours that just meet weekly for prayer and accountability. I'm just part you know I'm part of a running partners with another guy in the church. He's not an elder, um, but he's just you know but he's someone who I know is confident enough to ask me how I'm doing and taking this to not be, he's not afraid of me, he's not nervous around me. So that's great. We're part of a, me and my wife are part of a small group and, you know, we just kind of, we're just part of that love being, we're just part of the normal stuff of church life, you know. Um, even things like, you know, I remember sort of going back first Sunday after Christmas and people say, hey, how's Christmas? And you go, yeah, it's all right. You know, it, it wasn't like amazing because I'm the pastor. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, okay. Got, we got a bit of cabin fever a few days, we're fine. You know, just normal, just being normal. Sometimes it throws people a bit initially, then they realise, oh, okay, this actually is quite healthy. So I think just, yeah, being on, being as honest as you can, really. And we are, because I mean, we're living in a, in a culture that's obsessed with um, image in the sense that because we're, we're such a digital society, we, everything is presented to us behind this kind of glow of a screen. And so people look more like gods than they do like people. And, and that's the danger, again, that you, you see that instinct or perhaps that, impulse in your own heart that's self-oriented self-centered and got that sinful bent so the the way that we construct churches sometimes can play into the very thing that the culture's feeding yeah how i mean that's the one of the things that depresses me at times most about christianity is it, it basically just looks like your best life now on display with all of these you know young and not that youth's a problem but young and impressive pastors that i've been caught by that and i want that image that glamorized christianity that looks nothing like the cross you know i think i'm just reading tom holland's book and he quotes um i think it's anselm will get sent to canterbury to lead the english church and he weeps because he thinks i don't want riches i don't want fame because jesus didn't and that seems to be the opposite attitude of so many Maybe not British pastors. That's maybe not a British problem. But what are some of your just comments and critiques on how you avoid? I know you said you said much on it already, I guess. But that kind of celebrity pastor or curbing that own instinct in your own heart and stuff. I mean, it's brutal. It's a brutal battle. It's just a brutal, brutal battle because I think, like I said earlier, you've already got the flesh that just really wants all of that. But then you've then you've got uh, an environment that is. Like, like you say, celebrity obsessed. So you've, it's powerful, man. It's power. It's power. It's no, it's no joke. You know, if anyone tells you, oh yeah, you'll be fine. Or you know, you won't just be fine. You've got to put the whole armor of God on, or you won't be fine. You know, there's enough casualties, isn't there, to us for us to realise it's not a game. Um, and you, 
been reading um, William Gurnall, you know, The Christian in Complete Armour. Uh, amazing. It's a different generation, you know, but it just, they just gets to it. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Without becoming overly introspective, because that's, that's another trap, you know. Somehow, though, you do have to, I think, Jesus said, you know, whoever, um, whoever sort of speaks out of their own authority, you know, they, they're seeking their own glory. Um, but whoever, whoever seeks the glory of him who sent him, he's, uh, he, he, is, um, he is true. And in him, there's no falsehood. It's in John 7. So I think constantly saying, am I seeking the glory of God here? Am I seeking the fame of God here? And, and not just sort of telling yourself, yes, <laughs> doing you know appropriately letting the spirit of god search your heart you know what am i what am i trying to do here it's my main motive here um and then being living repentant life and um you know i i think just the more you love the more the more you love jesus the less you the less you want to hurt him right and and you love jesus more when you know more of his love for you because we love because he first loved us so I think when Judas keep yourself in the love of God, it's such a profound phrase because if you keep there, if you, you know, I, I don't think I'm really very good at this. I think it's my greatest vulnerability. I, you know, it's sort of just that living in the joy and delight of his love and his affection and his, 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 his agape love towards us. If you live in that place and allow that to really get into you, then it, 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 like a parent and a baby, you know, it just triggers love. You just, just the response is love back. And when you're in that place, I think you're very, very, I think you're much safer from this stuff. I think as soon as you kind of lose that, you start looking elsewhere. There's no two ways about it. You can't exist in a vacuum. You'll start looking for approval elsewhere. You'll, you'll, we crave, we crave affirmation. We crave well done. We crave powerful love in our soul and i think as, as, long, as soon as you start to scrimp on that um without sounding like too fatalistic i think from that moment on i think you're a time bomb i just i do i think you'll either you'll either fizzle out and never be heard of again you know you just you lose heart or you'll blow up big start depending on your temperament but you, one way or the other you won't finish your race strongly so i, I just think Really staying happy in God, getting happy in God and staying happy in God. Absolutely central. That's so helpful. And um, yeah, some great reminders and great encouragements there because it happens so easily. And like you said, it is a battle and this isn't something, it's not a joke. It's not just, oh, you know, often people do this with sin. Oh, I struggle with such and such. Like, you know, sin will devour you. <laughs> it wants to take you out and destroy you. And actually, it's not just that it wants to, often we're concerned about people's, when we talk about pastors, if we, if we go down that route, I guess, pastors who have fallen, we might say. When we talk about that, often we talk about the reputational impact on Christianity, as though that's the only fallout. But you've got the person's soul who has stopped being nourished by Christ, and there is only a vacuum, there is nothing outside of him beyond... Uh, darky, dark and shadowy places that no one wants to go. So there's such a real concern for Christian leaders to, to continue to fight for their own joy in God. Um, is that why you box to help you, um, to teach you some spiritual lessons in the ring? Well, it's funny. I mean, <clears throat> sometimes people say, oh, it's great, you go boxing, you get all your aggression out. I don't, I don't, 
yeah, I just enjoy it. I just do enjoy it. But what I do find is when I'm when I am training, is that lots of things come to mind. It is interesting. Obviously, Paul uses boxing in one Corinthians nine. You know, I don't just beat the air aimlessly. I beat my body, making my slave. Obviously, Ephesians six, the wrestling thing. There, 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 there are there are some interesting moments. You know, like certain times where you feel like you can't lift your hands up anymore and go on. And you know, what do you do in that moment? There are moments like that in the Christian life, aren't there? And so, yeah, there are lots of good illustrations that come through, that's for sure. <laughs> You're involved with um, quite a few church plants with Relational Mission, as I understand it. Um, tell, us about, tell us about some of them and, and what, that, what that looks like for you. Well, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a number one, it's a real privilege. I think to support pioneers in different ways is just one of the great joys of my life, really. I just think it's a brilliant, amazing people. Um, currently working with three people in in Liverpool. Um, it's uh, uh, well, eight, uh, five people, three adults. So we got a family with two kids and uh, um, working with another woman. And they are we're looking to plant in that way in Liverpool. So none of them will call themselves church leaders, but we're focusing now on just getting a grips with the, con- the context, the area, um, learn, thinking about praying, fasting, witnessing. Um, and just focus all focus is on that there's no focus on setting up church so it'll be on um, bible studies in the home alphas and the like winning people to jesus making disciples building them into community um it's not trying to draw in christians with their own expectations of what church should be like it's just it's ground up local people so that that's really exciting to be with them so i'm i'm so i'm currently sort of spearheading it if you if you want to think about a leader i'm based in london <laughs> spearheading the church fight in liverpool you know uh before the covid i was up there quite a bit but we just do a lot by zoom now but they're great they're pioneers they know what they're about they're not trying to be something they're not and it's just great to see them flourishing um also we have some some guys from from rev uh revelation church london go out to south korea a few years ago just to start up a youtube channel but also to live missionally. So it was that was the thing. We really want to live for Christ, but we, this is it's a business thing. So they did that, and they're just shining their light so beautifully. People, you know, backsliders started, you know, wanting to come back to the Lord, and others were really interested in Jesus. And you know, so I, I, about six months in, I said, "Have you guys thought of planting the church?" You know, and they're not. They would never have thought of themselves in that way. You know, they thought it. I, I nearly sort of. Um, I nearly caused them to all to faint, you know, when I mentioned it, you know, with sort of shock. They just, no, you know, when us. But, you know, there's now a beautiful uh, house church in Seoul. Um, two of the guys really coming through and developing into elders, you know. They never would have thought themselves like that, but they're feeding the flock, they're caring for them, and it's just it's beautiful. You know, I guess it's probably, I don't know, a church of, at the moment, maybe 10 to 15 adults, probably with about another five to ten people that are kind of interested in Jesus on the, on the fringes, you know, and the plan will be hopefully to just multiply house churches across the city, maybe even across the nation, that part of the world, you know. So I think it's just, just you know, working. And different people have different gifts. So, you know, a friend of mine planted out in Frankfurt in Germany. He's much more of an established kind of church leader. He was an elder here with us at Rev. He's, you know, he's kind of very, very competent and gifted in ministry, you know, kind of big measure of leadership. You know, and even even though they started in the home, it just kind of just grew a lot quicker, you know, and there's a lot more of them now, you know, and so it's a slightly different approach. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's just an it's just an absolute privilege, you know, to be with people that are working in really hard soil sometimes, sometimes not seeing sort of fruit that you can count on your hands and really say this is this is now what God's done 
with us. Um, they can talk about plenty of God's done in them, but, you know, outside of themselves, you know, are just heroes of the faith. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, you're reaping where others have sown. And we can't always be the ones who are reaping where others have sown. Sometimes we'll be the ones who are sowing where others will reap. Yeah. So, I mean, God, it just it doesn't mean it's failure, but it's, it's just you're not you're breaking up the ground. It matters spiritually. Things are happening. You're, you're paving a way either for yourselves in five years time or for others. So, yeah, just a real privilege. Oh, that's great. And yeah, it's brilliant. And for us in new ground to hear that as well, it's a chance to, to pray for the things that you're doing and connect where there's, I know there's, we've got a church in uh, in Liverpool there or where yes. maybe there's friendship there already, which is fantastic. Oh, they've been a great help to us. Oh, great. They've been brilliant. Um, just as we kind of drawing things to a, a close, talk to us a little bit about some of your thoughts for the, the post-COVID church. Is it, is does it need a return to house churches for want of a better expression you know will you stay in five congregations where are some of the things that you think i mean it's always been so hard to predict anything in this pandemic but where are some of the things that you're thinking yeah we've got we're we're freshly aware that our foundation needs to be christ if we've got any chance of survival but beyond that what's have you got any thoughts about models and formats of the way church is going to go is the is the church the future smaller rather than bigger for example i think i i think that maybe Maybe there's a trend of that going on here and there. Um, I think models and vehicles, I think that it, it, sh- it should be diverse. I, I think it should reflect the, the way the particular grace works on the leadership team of, of, of where those churches are. So I don't, I don't think when it comes to models and vehicles, there's, there's better or worse as long as the essential values are being held onto and, and worked out, you know, so, you know, you might have a really big church, you know, whereby, for example, on a Sunday, it, it's kind of hard for, you know, m- many people to, 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 to publicly contribute, you know, so then you just got to work out, okay, well, what does that look like in our church life? What we've really got to work on this. You can't just assume it's going to happen. We've got to really work on it. So as long as you're kind of, all of us are working to, so if you go into the small, I think there's, you've got to start grappling with where, 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 where do we express the fact that this isn't some little thing in a corner? This is global, man. You know, this is, this is the creation of all new things. We want to make, we want to make a loud noise to Jesus. We want to, how are we going to do what, how are we going to do that? You know, when it, when it's, when it's everything small all the time, um, how are people going to find, you know, um, good husbands and wives, you know, if they're in a church of 15 people all the time, you know, it's just practical stuff. Every model of vehicle's got its stuff, it's gonna make you think stuff through. So I don't, I don't know, but I do think probably the big thing that all of us would agree on is that the uh, involvement of online elements of being able to sort of, you know, previously, you know, imagine, imagine if you wanted to do this podcast with me, you might have said, Steph, come, I've got a studio, you know, in Seaford, come down, you know, it, it, it's like a five hour round trip. You know, we're not thinking like that anymore. There, there, there's some big wins in terms of traversing great distances. You know, we now, we now gather with all the RM elders a few times a year across the world, you know. We just wouldn't, have, we could have done it before, but we just didn't think of it. So I think our thinking has moved on and that will be a part of what we do. Um, but we need to just work out you know, how do you, how do you build and maintain really good relationships as well, whilst making the most of these sorts of formats, which are harder, 
definitely harder for forming relationships and 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 definitely harder for maintaining relationships because you can't just shoot the breeze it's all got to be very intentional so you've got to be weighing those sorts of things up but you know in terms of where we're going to go to local church we don't know we're literally i think i think the church has become convinced that the elders really don't know um <laughs> uh, it takes it takes a while for people to be convinced because you know they so we're just waiting on god um because we, we're not sure what what the next best step will be we're, we're just listening mm, and when you do know if you could put it in a book for the rest of us to copy <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> very good been such a privilege to, to talk with you and so good for us in new ground to like i said connect with the relational mission world we had mike betts talking to us about revival last time and so uh, really excited to hear what's going on and we'll be praying for you um thank you for your time oh thank you well we're cheering you know we're, we're cheering you guys on and we've got such a great uh history together and you know even even you know i think back in 2019 we we did the uh, malaga pioneer conference together you know that was great and um so, you know, and our paths keep crossing and it's it's brilliant, you know. So we just want you guys to know that we're totally cheering you on and excited for, you know, what God's going to do with you guys too. Oh, I really enjoyed talking with Steph and appreciated everything he had to say. Some really inspiring and challenging things to say about church life and ministry, the tensions we hold, the need for church to remain, you know, holding on to this whole vision of being a household and a family first above everything else and uh, you heard it here first there's going to be a fight between tom head of east end church london and steph liston in fact i recorded the conversation with tom head uh, bringing that to you next week and uh, i put that question to him first of all about the important fight so <laughs> here's a, a, a snippet of my conversation with tom head as we're going to be discussing church among the working classes and reaching men in inner cities we, we, we haven't got the, the luxury of pulling up your driveway, shutting the net curtains and having your argument in hushed tones. You know what I mean? It's, it's all out there. I've had, you go down the street and you will see arguments in the street. I've, I've had people having huge conversations or arguments from the landing on the flats to the pavement and that because they ain't got the luxury of, of, of space and privacy. So, so life is lived more cheek by jowl you know um but but what it does mean is that you're you you faced more stuff so you're you're shaped more quicker like like our kids you know like the stuff that we faced on a school run is is stuff that we could deal with there and there you know in terms of you know uh prostitutes or uh um you know, drugs and stuff like that. Like, like, like my, my, my kids could recognise the smell of weed from a very early age and, and knew who the junkies were and, and, and uh, oh, is he waiting for some gear, Dad? Or, 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 or uh, you know, we've had... There, there was once we was doing a school run and there was a shootout and, and the, 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 the police sort of says, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to go down that road now, you know, and... and uh, that's out in two weeks time here on the life and leadership podcast until then keep pursuing jesus with everything you've got and i look forward to connecting with you again soon goodbye